The value of discipline. There's value in discipline. Amen? How many of you today are just so crazy? You're just so excited about discipline. Shared with you a couple of weeks ago, Kelly asked me to get on the elliptical that I got her for Christmas. And I went kicking and screaming all the way to the elliptical. I got on it. It worked out. Got off. She said, well, how do you feel? I said, I feel great. You know, the hardest part about it was getting on it. It wasn't actually working out. But discipline is something that's not easy. Not easy to live a disciplined life. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. But discipline is necessary if you're serious about your faith walk. You have to be disciplined. Years ago, my, many, many years ago, when I was just six years old, my parents decided that it would be good for me to play a sport. My dad wanted me to play baseball. My mom wanted me to play soccer. My mom won. As a six-year-old, I can remember playing. I can remember my jersey. It was orange. I think the name of my team, I don't know if that was Colabini's Bakery. I don't know which team was the, was the orange team. It was the very first team that I played soccer on. I was more interested in chasing the butterflies off the field than I was being on the field playing soccer. That's what I, why I was there. I mean, they paid good money. I think they paid like $25 or something like that for me to play on this team. And here I am. <laughs> Shane, come back. <laughs> you remember Shane, the cowboy? That's how his name, but they were calling my name and they wanted me to come back because I was off chasing butterflies. When the real fun was on the field. I played on several teams from that day all the way up until I was in my late teens. Soccer became for me probably unhealthy because my love for it was just so great. I loved to play soccer. I had posters all over my walls. In my college dorm room, I had a soccer net. You had to walk, a little, little cutout door. You had to walk. I mean, probably had the t-shirt, soccer is life. I just loved to play soccer. Played competitively in Europe. Played on Teams USA, a junior Olympic development team. All over Europe. Love the sport. What I learned about this sport is if you want to be good, you have to practice. You have to be disciplined. And what we're told, and that's so true about so many things in life, we're told in Scripture 
that God disciplines those people who he loves. And no discipline seems pleasant or enjoyable while you're going through it. But you see, in order to get to it, we have to go through it. And we're not big fans. We're not, we don't get all hyped up about struggle. But we have a Savior who's greater than our struggle. We have a Savior who's going to go with us. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. And it's through this discipline, it's through this struggle, if we'll just persevere, if we'll just keep going, if we don't throw in the towel. What's happening in our lives as we go through this struggle is spiritual growth is happening. Spiritual growth is happening through our struggle. You believe that today? Perseverance brings about character and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love upon us. That's biblical. So today I want to talk to you about spiritual disciplines, the value of discipline. Pastor Gordon talked last week. He, he kind of got us moving in this direction, and there will be other Sermons within this series that he will preach as well. But we're going to be talking about spiritual disciplines. It says in 1 Timothy 4.8, For physical training, write this down, for physical training is of some value. I don't say to my wife when she gets on the elliptical, I don't know why you're doing that. There's no value in that. None. You're going to die. Why are you doing this? Someday you're going to die. Why are you working? I say that sometimes when she's watching TV or when I'm watching TV, I have to ask myself the question like, what value does this have in my life? Why is this a part of my life? And there are days that I just feel like vegging, days that I just feel like, you know, watching. And I'm not saying that you should get rid of your television set by any means. I'm just saying physical training is of some value, but you need to understand godliness has value for all things. For all things. Holding promise for both the present life, the here and now, and the life to come. Godliness has value in all things. Physical training has value. Physical training has its place. Soccer had its place in my life. Problem with me is it had too much of a place in my life. Too much of my time, too much of my attention, too much of my energy, too much of my love. So we exercise physical discipline to become physically healthy and in shape. Not a bad thing, right? We exercise spiritual discipline in order to become spiritually healthy and spiritually it. Are we in shape physically? I hope so. If we're not, well, you made the resolution, so get there. But more important than the physical is the spiritual. But you see, I find that when I'm physically healthy and physically in shape, that actually helps me to be better spiritually. Okay? So, 
Today, what I want to talk to you about is the discipline of meditation. It's one of the four that Foster talks about, Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline. If you don't have the book, I want to encourage you to get it on your Kindle, encourage you to get it online, pick it up in a book. It's, it's not a lot of money. I can get you a copy if you need a copy. I'm sure I have one. I have a couple maybe in my library. You're more than welcome to borrow it. We're going to look at the discipline of meditation, which is one of Foster's disciplines, one of the inward disciplines that he talks about in his book, Celebration of Discipline. Celebrate discipline. <laughs> Deuteronomy 4, 6, 4 through 9. If you have a Bible, we're going to read this together. If not, we're going to put it up on the screen for you. This is called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. On your hearts. In your heart, on your hearts, the commandments given to us. Sometimes our heart just isn't in it. God asks us to obey, and our heart just isn't in it. I, I go kicking and screaming, I really don't want to obey. Well, Pastor, you sometimes feel that way? Yeah. There are times that I know that I need to do something and I don't want to do it. I go kicking and screaming. There are other times that I know to do right and I choose not to do right. And the Bible says that's sin. If you know to do right and you choose not to do right, that's sin. So he's saying here, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Love him. Love the Lord God with all of your being, with your heart, with your soul, with your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be in your hearts, be on your hearts, and then you want to underline this. Verse 7 says, impress them. Impress them. Kind of like a tattoo. Because <laughs> you guys, do, you've, some of you have iron-on tattoos, right? Impress them. Press them on your children. Talk about them. You might want to underline that. Talk about them when you're sitting at home, when you're walking along the road, when you're lying down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. See the WWJD bracelets? <laughs> that was happening way before our time. They would write the scriptures on their hands, on their foreheads, on their homes, on the doorposts, all over the place. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them down. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. How do we get the word in front of us? That's what's happening here. I want to make sure that the word's in front of me. I want it on my hand. <laughs> I want it on my house. I want it on my forehead. Everywhere I go, I want to see the word. These people were serious. Not only about just knowing it or seeing it, but it being a part of their life. 
hiding it in their hearts. You know, David said, I have hidden your word, Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. I've hidden it in my heart. How did he hide it in his heart? How did it become a part of his heart? How did it become a part of his life? I'm here to tell you it's because he was looking at it. It was in front of him. He saw it wherever he went. And David's downfall fell, when he fell, was because he wasn't looking at the word. He was looking at a woman that didn't belong to him. And he would later write, I have hidden your, how can a young man keep pure? Verse 9 of 119, Psalm 119. How does a young man keep pure, especially in 2020? He answers his question in verse 11 by saying, by living according to your word. And the way that we can live according to his word is by knowing his word, hiding his word in our hearts, tying his word in our hearts, impressing his word in our hearts. I mean, this is how it happens. So how do we get the word in front of us? Psalm 119, verse 30 says, I've chosen the way of faithfulness. Is that true about us today? David said, I've chosen, that's the way I've chosen. I've chosen the way of faithfulness. Note, note that he wasn't always faithful. But he came to a place where he said, that's, that's the decision, that's the choice I'm making. I am choosing the way of faithfulness. I've set my heart on your laws, on your decrees, on your ordinances. That's where my heart is. I've set my heart on, on, on you, on knowing you, loving you with all of who I am. Sometimes it's out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out of mind. Well, God's word isn't with me. <laughs> out of sight, out of mind. That's why you hide his word in your heart. You don't have a hard copy in front of you. It's hidden inside of you. You're taken to a prison camp and you can't bring your Bible with you. That's okay because the Bible lives in you. God's word lives in you. You know God's word. That's why it's important to meditate on God's word. Jeremiah 15, 16. When your words came, I ate them. Jeremiah says, I ate your words. I'm going to eat it up. I'm going to eat up your word. Excited about your word. They were my joy and my heart's delight. You know, friend, sometimes we see the Christian experience. We see living a life of discipline as a duty. Not a delight. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. He says, I, I delight. I delight. I ate them. They were my joy, my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. You know, meditation has a lot to do, I think. With, there's some things I'm going to refer to today. Repetition, association, memorization, reflection. Just to name four things I think about when I think about meditation, what it means to meditate. It's not how much of the Bible that you read in one sitting. 
that matters? Well, man, I read the whole Gospel of John today. Okay, tell me what you just read. Well, I don't know, I read the whole Gospel of John. You could take one verse, one verse in the Bible, and just look at that verse, and you might look at that verse every day, all day, for the whole week. There's not a right and wrong way to do it. The key is, how are we going to get this in you? How are we going to get God's Word in us? How are we going to allow God's Word to shape us in how we do life and as we make decisions? And we've been talking about, I mean, something that I've just been thinking an awful lot about in most recent times, most recent days, is just the authority of God's Word. The infallible Word of God. I believe God's Word is infallible because I believe God, is, God doesn't ever fail. God doesn't ever make mistakes. And to say otherwise means that God has failed. You see, God entrusted people to write these words down. People fail. People sometimes don't get it right. That's what I've learned about myself. There are times I thought I heard something and I didn't hear it right. I didn't get it right. And that's okay. We can split hairs. We can talk about why there's you know, this contradiction here, this contradiction over here. Why, you know, did God really mean this? I mean, we can, we can play that game. We can fight over this. I believe that this is the authority. God's word is the authority of my life. God said it. I'm going to believe him. I'm going to trust him. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it doesn't fit into my narrative. (laughs) We have a way of just trying to make God's word fit into our lives. Right? I want God's word to say what I want it to say. And sometimes God's word doesn't say what I want it to say. But it's God's word. It's not a smorgasbord. You don't just kind of pick and choose. Well, I like this passage. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy. But then I read this passage over here that tells me that I have to die to myself or that I have to pick up my cross and follow him. I don't like how that sounds. (laughs) Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, Paul is saying, or seen me put into practice, and the God of peace be with you. Think about such things. This is what I took away from this passage. Think about such things. Our thinking gets us into a lot of trouble sometimes. It got David in trouble. All throughout Scripture, I see it getting people in trouble. Thinking. That's why we're to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. Every thought. This is what the enemy says about my life, about your life. God, what do you say about it? Oh, you say that I'm your son. Oh, you say that I'm loved. Oh, you say that I'm okay. Oh, you say that I'm forgiven. 
We believe the lies. We believe the lies of an enemy who hates us, who wants to destroy us, who wants our lives to be ruined instead of believing what God has to say, instead of being concerned about what God thinks about our lives. So as we're talking about meditation, it is these things. It is repeating. It is repetition. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I'm going to repeat that. I'm going to say that. I might put that down on a three-by-five card. Or I might watch, see it at a Super Bowl game today, or a playoff game today. And the big banner. Everybody knows John 3.16. Right? Why do you know John 3.16? Because you've seen it. Over and over and over and over again. A lot of people know John 3.16. Even people that aren't believers know what John 3.16 says. So repetition's important. Association. When I'm learning somebody's name. If I'm meeting Laura for the first time. I don't want to forget Laura's name. I'm going to... Meet her, and if I forget her the first time, if I see her and I just say, oh, Laura, great to meet you, and I walk away, I'm going to forget Laura's name. But if I stop and I look at Laura and I concentrate and I maybe associate you with a cousin or somebody that I know that's Laura, I ask you to spell your name. So again, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm giving you my attention, I'm looking at you in the eyes, and I'm really trying to concentrate on who you are. And I know Laura. I just met her. I don't know her, know her, but I, I met her. To start, know her name. So that's what we do with the Word of God, right? We repeat it. Maybe we associate. Memorization. Take a three-by-five card. Write it down. Write down a ver- Again, it's not how much you read. It's how can I get God's Word into my heart so that I won't sin against Him. And then I reflect on it. I make application. For we read in the Bible, to just be a hearer of the word isn't enough. We're called to be doers. We're called to put God's word into practice. Which requires discipline. Practice is a discipline. As a six-year-old, I wasn't into practicing. I didn't like practice. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Iverson. Just to practice. Just to practice. It doesn't matter. It's just to practice. I had a coach who used to say, practice. Your practice is so important because the way you practice, you're going to take that into the game. That's how you're going to play the game. So you need to take practice very seriously. Practice. The wise man in Matthew 7 put God's word into practice. Right? He built his home on the rock. And when the storms and the wind and the waves and everything came, the house that was built on the rock is the only house that stood the test. The house that was built on the sand had no foundation, washed away. So think about such things. As thoughts pop in your mind, is this true? Is this noble? Is this right? Is this pure? Is it lovely? 
Is it admirable? If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Think. I, I read this verse in Colossians chapter 3. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. My paraphrase, don't be a bottom feeder. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We think about things that really don't matter. He says, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is how you used to think. Now that Christ has come into your heart, now that Christ has changed your mind and you're taking captive every thought and you're making it obedient to Christ and you want to be so identified with Christ, these are things that are no longer supposed to be a part of your life. Put these things to death. Remember we did this series, What Must Die in Our Lives So That Christ Can Live? There's some things that we think about, some things that just kind of shape how we, we, we allow some of our thoughts that, that aren't from God to shape who we are and shape how we do life. Can I just tell you that your value is just off the charts? when it comes to God and the value that he places upon your life. If you ever question how much God loves you, remember the cross. That he would send his one and only son, Jesus, to die for you. That's what God thinks about you. In fact, in Matthew 6, 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Jesus says, aren't you much more valuable than they are? And I take care of them. Your value. I wonder today what we value. What we value. Remember, physical training has value. Godliness has value in all things. Godliness has value in all things. The only way that I can be godly, there's no shortcuts to godliness, is through discipline. God makes me godly. God makes me holy. But these disciplines help to get me there. You see, because these disciplines, meditation, prayer, fasting, this all has to do with relationship. God disciplines those who he loves. And these disciplines are part of my life because God loves me and because I, I, I love God. <laughs> and I want to be my best for God. So how am I going to be my best for God if I don't give God any time, if I don't give God any attention or any affection, I'm supposed to love God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength. And I say, God, I'm going to give you this much because I have other things in my life. I have other things that are very, very important. I'm too busy, God. You read the book, Too Busy, to, too busy Not to Pray? <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it, Tony? <laughs> My thoughts exactly. 
You know, what do we value? We know what God values. God values us. God values our worth. It says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. How many of you are content with being godly? That's enough. Having God in your heart, God in your life, loving God. You know, in fact, this is so important, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. It's so important that Jesus, in Matthew 22, when he's talking about the greatest commandment, he asks this rich young ruler, he said, what, what is the greatest commandment? Said, well, you know the commandments. I've, he says, I've, I've kept all the commandments since I've been a boy. Everything. I've done everything that I was supposed to do. Didn't break any of the commandments. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new command. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like, like unto this one. It's to love one another. To love one another. I'm called to love you. You've been made in the image of God. I'm called to love you. You're called to love me. And I think if we would just get a hold of these two commandments, loving God, loving people, we've said it before, if I can just figure that out, love God, love people, everything else is just going to really <laughs> work out. You know, loving God, loving people. If I love you, I'm not going to steal from you. If I love you, I'm not going to take your wife. <laughs> right? My wife would let me take your wife anyway. <laughs> If I love you, right, mom and dad, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to give you respect. I'm going to honor you as my father and my mother. If I love, and when I'm doing that, when I'm obeying these commandments, I'm really making a statement that I love God. I don't see it as a duty. I don't see it as a burden. I see it as a delight. Because God who loves me, God who says I am just so valuable and I'm worth it, so much so that he gave his son. He sees value in me. I need to see God as my greatest value, my greatest love. Amen? So, put a de- definition up here of meditation for you to meditate, to engage in contemplation or reflection, to engage in mental exercise such as concentration on one's breathing or repetition of a mantra, of a mantra rather, for the purpose of reaching a heightened level of spiritual awareness. David prayed in Psalm 19 verse 14. He said, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O God. Are my words. See, words, <laughs> words are an overflow of the heart. In fact, Jesus said someday we're going to give an account for every careless word that has come out of that's mm. Lord, put a guard, put a guard out here. Don't let your mouth, it says in Ecclesiastes 5, do not let your mouth lead you into sin. How many times does our mouth lead us into sin? How many times does our mouth get us into trouble? Right? So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, words come from the heart, 
be pleasing in your sight. Psalm 1, 1 through 2 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the steps, does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, take a seat in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. (laughs) In the law of the Lord. And who meditates on his law day and night. Which means God's word is before us all the time. Now, I'm not saying you got to take a Bible to work. Take a three-by-five card. Take a verse. Take a couple verses. Take a passage. You know, I, a couple summers ago, I was into the epistle. I was reading first. I had memorized 1 John, like five chapters. And I still find myself, I, if I were to stand here before you now and do five chapters, I probably couldn't do the five chapters because I had to just keep building on what I already learned and then going back to it, and it was constant. It was at a red light. It was, you know, it was wherever I went. In my mind, I just was constantly thinking about that word. I was thinking about 1 John 1 through 5. And I'll tell you, when you're just so filled with God's word, you know, a thought pops into my mind or I see something or whatever, I'm just right back to God's word. And God's word, <laughs> God's word needs to be constantly set before us. And not just before us, but God's word needs to be in us. Amen? Amen. Joshua 1.8, Joshua says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Are we being careful to do everything written in this? You know, I, I've met some people that would love to just take a couple pages and just begin to rip them out because I don't need this. And it really, I mean, it, it's... <laughs> breaks my heart as I think about the authority of Scripture, like God's Word. Like, this is God's Word. There are people in other countries that are losing their lives for this book. People in other countries where a page is ripped out, bless you, a page is ripped out because the Bible is so scarce and because they just need, just give me a page! Can't imagine having the whole book! Just give me a page. People willing to lose their lives for this book, for God's word. Have you chosen the way of faithfulness? Is your heart set? Is your heart set? Some of you need to reset it. Heart set on his loss. You know, I close... (laughs) With Psalm 16.8, in the ESV, it says, I have set the Lord always before me. I have set the Lord always before me. Has he been set before us? Is he set before you always? Or is he set in the back, is he set in the back window of your car? <laughs> I have set the Lord before me. 
whether it be on a three by five card, whether it be, you know, in my cars, I'm driving down the road and the CD's playing the Bible on CD. Or I'm listening to another preacher, or I'm listening to, some, to, to music, whatever the case may be. I just want to figure out how can I set the Lord before me all the time? His word, and how can I get his word in my heart? so that I might not sin against him. I've set the Lord always before me, Psalm 16 says, verse 8, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. I will not be shaken. I will not be moved because I set the Lord before me. I will not be shaken. And there are some things in this world that shake us up, that get us all worked up. But like these builders in Matthew 7, the winds came, the waves came, and I want you to know that they shook that one house. It's gone. Oh, but the house that was built on the rock. (laughs) The glass on the windows was rattling. House was shaken. Sure, it lost a few shingles. But that house stood. And Jesus says, which one of these builders do you want to be like? Because I want you to know whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian. What I want you to hear me say is this. What Jesus said in John 16, 33. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Don't lose heart. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Jesus says, because I've won. I've overcome the world. Death couldn't keep me down. Oh, I think about what happened when Jesus rose from the dead. (laughs) The earth shook. The earth shook. The curtain was ripped. The veil was torn. When Jesus rose from the dead. The living word. (laughs) The living word. In the beginning was the word Jesus and the word was with God and the word was God. Everything in this world was spoken into existence by Jesus. His word. And so today as we close, (laughs) set the Lord always before you. Because He is at my right hand. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I shall not be shaken. It's going to be okay. We sing this song, every little thing's going to be all right. Every little thing's going to be all right. It might be a big deal. It might seem just huge in your mind. I don't know how this is ever going to work out. I don't know what to do. I'm at a complete loss. I'm speechless. I don't even feel like getting out of bed. I don't even feel like moving because this thing, what just happened, has really just shook me. My faith has been shook. But I set the Lord before me. He's before me. And not only is He before me, He's behind me. If God is for you, who or what can be against you? God is for you today, Romans 8, 31. 
He's behind you. He's our shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they bring comfort to me. I love what it says at the end of that passage. Surely your goodness, your mercy will follow me. Are you there, Lord? Will follow me. Just checking. Will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. Amen. So not only is he before me, he's behind me. Life happens and there are going to be times that I don't know how to move forward, but I will not be shaken because you're with me. Gracious God, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for these disciplines that you have made us aware of and that you're making us aware of. I pray that we would take these disciplines to heart, that these disciplines would not be seen as a duty, but a delight, ways in which we can be better for God, better for your kingdom, better for your mission, better for your work, better for this world. We want to be the very best we can be for you. We want to love you with all of who we are. Thank you, God, for loving us the way that you love us. Never giving up on us. Holding our hand. Walking with us. Leading us. Bringing us comfort. Rest. Times that we're hurting and we don't feel like moving because we've just been rattled. You pick us up and you, <laughs> you hold us. You carry us. Thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. May we meditate day and night. May we hide your word in our hearts so that we might not sin against you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.